0: Well that is a uh, that's an interesting question, right? And that's a good question. If you could thank somebody for the person that you are today, who would that be? Like looking back at your life and you say, "You know what? There's this person or this these couple of people like who I am today or where I am at in my life today, they were a big part of that." We all kind of have people like that. And sometimes uh, it, it's people who um, were there, like, I've been in our life for a long time and continue to be. Other times, it's people who played a role, like, at a specific time and place. and it was like, that person showed up, and we've lost contact, but man, I wouldn't be where I am uh, without them. We, we have those kind of people. And if you're a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, we have those people in our faith journey as well. The people who God has used in your life to bring you to where you are in your faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue on um, in the series that we've been in since the the start of the year, Faithful. We're talking about what what does it mean, what does it look like to actually have faith in Jesus, and the difference really between a follow me kind of faith and just a believe in me kind of faith. Uh, There's the follow me faith that Jesus invites us into, or there's the just believe some things about God or Christianity or the Bible, and the follow me kind of faith. And it is a faith that is alive, it is active, it is risky, it is, uh, it, it's, it's scary sometimes, it's hard sometimes, but it's a kind of faith that, that changes us entirely and it changes the world around us. Like the follow me kind of faith, it's relational, it says, Jesus, you know what, wh- wh- whatever you ask me, my answer is yes before you ask it. Like wherever you're going, I'm there with you. Wherever you're leading, like like let's go, I'm in this. And there's that thing that's like, I'm so terrified and I don't know, but there's something about that posture that God does something that brings our faith alive in us, we say, I'm following after you, and that was Jesus' invitation to people, come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. Don't just believe some things about me, but follow me. And so the idea behind this series has been, all right, what do we do to foster that kind of faith? Like, how do we get that? How do we step into that? How do we live into that? And we said there's, there's five things that we're talking about in this series that, that become catalysts for that, because at the end of the day, like, it's Jesus, it's his spirit that's gonna do something in us, it's gonna transform us, it's gonna change us, but we can put ourselves in environments and in situations that's a way of saying, okay, God, I'm here, and I want you to do something. And so just in way of recap, here's where we've been so far the last couple of weeks. We talked about these two, practical teaching, personal ministry. The first thing that like blows our faith up in a good way is when we're in an environment over time consistently, whether it's, it's a church that we're a part of, a small group that we're in, conversations with a friend, where it's like, okay, someone is opening up and teaching the scripture, the, the, the Bible, in a way that I understand it. In a way that goes, oh, in a way that points to this this big story that's been woven throughout history, that's finding its fulfillment and its culmination in the person of Jesus, and it's a story that we're invited into. When we find ourselves learning in that environment where I understand what it's saying, and I don't just stop at knowing it, but I do it. I do something with it, where there's like, it draws a response out of me where I'm just... I'm so just enthralled with the words and the ways of Jesus that my life has to be changed because of it. It's practical teaching. I can get a hold of it and go, I'm a different person now because of the words and ways of Jesus. The second thing was personal ministry we talked about last week, that, that this beautiful thing like Jesus is rescuing and redeeming and restoring the, the world and people's lives and he's, 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 he's brought the kingdom and if you're his follower, he says, I want you to participate in this. I want you to be a part of this. And we get really nervous sometimes because, like, I don't have what it takes. I'm not smart enough, and I'm not equipped, and I don't have the time, and, and I don't know enough. And, and it, I, I feel like Jesus just has this smile on his face. And he's like, just, just bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. Whatever, we, we talked about the, the feeding of the 5,000 in the lunchbox. Like, just bring me whatever's in your lunchbox, and just, I, I, I got it from there. And something comes alive in us when that happens. Today, we're going to talk um, about... This third idea, providential relationships. If you haven't noticed, they all start with a P. So yes, that's where we're going. Providential, because there's something different. It's not just a normal relationship, but providential relationships. And so here's, here's what I mean. If you were to, to share your faith story, or I were to share mine, or most people, when they would share theirs, there's some aspect of, you know, in that season of life, I met this guy, I met this girl, I had this friend, and they invited me to church or you know, I moved to you know, a different area of town or a different city and I had these new neighbors or I started a new job and there was this coworker and they were a Christian and they, they kept talking to me about faith kind of things and eventually it led me to a place to where I am today. Or I had this friend that just kept bugging me. Hey man, you should get my small group, it's gonna be great, it's gonna be so much fun and you're just like, okay, I just said yes so he would leave me alone and I finally did it and looking back, it was a huge, huge thing and my faith came alive and there's a sense in which it's providential that God intervened in that Because in the moment, it was just like, all right, I'm just trying to get you off my back. I'm saying yes. You know, it's nice. I'm trying to be polite. But looking back, you realize, like, God was working through that person in my life. And I wouldn't be where I am without that person in my life. You probably have those people in your story somewhere. You may be here in church with them today because they were a part of that in your story. And also, sometimes we don't think about this. You are, or you have the potential to be, Jesus, I think, is calling you to be that person in someone else's story as well, that God uses relationships, human relationships, to grow our faith um, in him, that other people are one of the primary ways that God reveals himself to us, and uh, we kind of go even further than that sometimes at our church, and we'll say, you know you actually don't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally, that you'll get to a point, like, in your spiritual growth where you just kind of cap out, where it's like there's a ceiling, and it's just kind of, it's kind of surfacy, where it's like, if I am isolated, I'm just doing the me and Jesus kind of faith, we stop growing, and that really shouldn't surprise us. Because this is what is at the heart, it's at the core of the Christian faith. You get to the core of the Christian faith and there's not a, a, a set of rules, there's not a theological truths, there's not all these things. At the core of the Christian faith is a relationship that God sent his son, a person. The word became flesh and he, he dwelt among us and he was shoulder to shoulder and eye to eye and he, he showed us what it looks like to love God, to love our neighbors, he showed us what the kingdom of God was all about. He died, he rose so that we could have relationship. And so the faith that Jesus taught, the faith that Jesus demonstrated had relationships at the center of it. What does he do? He goes and he calls 12 disciples and he spends three years just like, these are my guys and I'm pouring into them. And we're doing life together and we're pursuing God together and there was a relational dynamic. And those disciples that he calls become the leaders in the early church and they take that same kind of faith and they start passing it on all around the Roman Empire. And it's a faith that is kind of, others are like such a, a core part of it. You read through the New Testament, in fact, and you'll find that there are 59 one another statements in the New Testament, 59 commands to like, followers of Jesus in the first century who are like, how do we do this? This Jesus thing is all new, and some of us are Jewish, and some of us are Gentile, and we and were worshiping different gods now. We're trying to follow Jesus. How do we do it? And they get these instructions, and 59 different instructions to one another, love one another, and serve one another, and forgive one another, and pray for one another, and rebuke one another, and teach one another. And it's just like over and over and over, there's a relational dynamic that is pointed to. It's a one-anothering kind of faith, and as I've said before, and I'll say it again, you can't one-another yourself, right? You just can't do it. You're like, Phil, I love you, right? You can't. It's weird, okay? But that's not really one-anothering, okay? Like, it's a one-anothering kind of faith, and so there are people who play a role in your faith journey, and there are people whose faith journey you play a role in. Or that you have the potential to play a role in. So, I want to look at a passage of scripture this morning that kind of brings this into focus. Um, so, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Hebrews. you got a Bible, want to follow along there? That's great. It's going to be up here on the screen as well. Um, Hebrews, we call it a book in the Bible, but it's really uh, just this New Testament document. It gets lumped into what we broadly call the epistles, which are letters written to uh, followers of Jesus kind of throughout the Roman Empire. But Hebrews doesn't read like some of the other letters, um, Hebrews reads like a, like a really, really long, confusing sermon or lecture. It's just like, what is going on? What is being said here? Uh, we don't know exactly who wrote it, but we know who it was written to. Uh, we know it was written to, to Jewish followers of Jesus in the first century, which is why for us as 21st century people um, living now, we're like, this is like kind of confusing. And so this is written to a group of people who, you know, they, they'd grown up you know with the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish heritage, like that was there. that was who they were, and they came to place faith in Jesus as this is our Messiah. This is the one that we had been waiting for. He is the fulfillment of all of the thing that our law was pointing to, that the prophets were talking about. Uh, and so they put faith in him and the author of Hebrews comes along and is like, all right, now let me kind of show you and teach you how Jesus is like the fulfillment of all of our scripture the old testament in the law in the prophets in the promises. And so there's there's this idea he goes through uh, throughout the book of Hebrews where it's like Jesus is the new and better thing. The new and better law, the new and better temple, the priest, the sacrifices, all of it has been superseded by Jesus. It's all been kind of pointing to him. And so that's what he's doing all throughout the, this uh, this book. And we get to Hebrews chapter 10, which is where we're going to be uh, this morning. And there's kind of this moment where it's like this culmination, here's what's true, and so now here's what you do. And so Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to pick up in verse 19, and just kind of work our way through a couple of verses. So Hebrews 10, 19, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, sisters. A couple of things. Number one, this is, this is something that we see throughout the New Testament is that brothers and sisters, this imagery, this image of, of siblings or family is like one of the primary pictures given for the church. So for people who are followers of Jesus, this is one of the ways that they're talked about. And so whenever you're maybe reading through the New Testament and you come across brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, it's like, oh, this is for me. Like this is, this is something that I need to pay attention to. And it's also something that we need to be careful about Christians um, not enforcing on people who aren't Christians, where it's like, brothers and sisters, hey, you need to do that, but you're, you're, I, don't, I don't claim to believe that, right? The Apostle Paul actually has something to say about that as well. And so he's like, hey, brothers and sisters, if you signed up for this Jesus thing, if you're part of like, you know, I'm in God's family, I've been adopted, I'm like, got the whole Jesus thing going on, this is for you, and you are family. This is like the picture that's given. You're siblings, and this is different than we think of, about siblings. Anybody Anybody here an only child? Anybody? No, no only child? Oh, we got one. Okay. One or two. Oh, two. Okay. A couple, a handful. Right. So you're like, I don't know. I don't know the whole sibling thing. I'm guessing you probably do. You're lucky. You're so lucky. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love my siblings. I was like several years younger, so it wasn't even that big a deal. Anyway. Family, brothers and sisters. We think, like, you know, I've got some siblings today. Maybe they live on the other side of the, of, of the world or something, you know, or other side of the country. and We text every now and then, or, uh, you know, we call sometimes. We see each other on holidays. And so that's family. That's not family to them. See, you, you weren't detached from your family in the first century like that. You depended on them to survive. Like you, you, your lives were uh, entangled and together. The, the, it was like a multi-generational thing. You saw your family every single day. In fact, a lot of the times like the living situation would be multiple generations of a family in one home. And so there'd be kind of like a common area, and then off the common area, there'd be like other little houses built off of it. And it's like, we're just one little happy family, you know, just just living here. And even if you didn't live directly with your family, you saw them. They live in the same village. They live one village over. And so there is a, I'm seeing you every day. We're in this together. I can't survive without you. And this is the picture that is given of the church. It's that kind of relationship. And so, hey, brothers and sisters, so there's this idea of before we even read what we're about to read, he's like... Talking to family. Talking to people who are in relationship with one another. And he's going to begin to to list some things that are true of them. That's like a summation of kind of what he's been talking about in the book of Hebrews to this point. So, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. I don't know about you, but when I read things like this, I'm just like, What? Like, it's just, like, this is just bad English. Like, this is a like big old run-on sentence. I'm like, I'm not even sure what he's talking about. And it's like, this is what, what, is, what is happening here. And, and here, I think, is what our temptation is sometimes. This is my temptation sometimes, is to read that and go, I don't get this. I'm never going to understand this Bible thing, and so I just give up on it, right? Like, I just, whatever. I'll just go to church and hope that's good enough. And, but what, what I want you to hear is don't be discouraged when you open up a passage and you go, I don't understand this it's actually like, it'd be weird if you did understand this because none of us are first century Jewish people living in the Roman Empire, are we? No? No? Okay, just making sure, right? And so it's like, okay, I gotta, it takes a little more work. I gotta kind of dig back in and feel like, what was the original audience hearing here? And then what does it look like for us? And so this author is talking about some things that were central to Jewish worship and their life and their religion and how they related to God. And so the Jewish like, religious system, it centered around the temple, And you would bring your sacrifices to the temple um, where the the, the priest would offer the sacrifice on your behalf and the blood of the sacrifice would cover for your sins. The priest, as I said, was there at the temple and that was like your go-between between between you and God. You couldn't go really to God directly. Like the priest was this, this intermediary. Within the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was where God's presence was supposed to be. It was like the hot spot of God's presence. And the only person allowed into the Holy of Holies was the high priest one time a year, because it was so holy, you couldn't be there. Uh, In fact, when the high priest would go in, they would actually tie a rope to him in case he died in there, and they had to like yank him out, because like, you can't go in and get him, okay? And that holy of holies, where the presence of God was, was separated by this big, thick curtain. And these are all the ideas that this author is getting at. He says, we have confidence now to enter the most holy place. How do we enter? By the blood of of Jesus. It's not the blood of sacrifices anymore. It's the, the one-time final sacrifice of Jesus to cover sins. And we enter into the, this most holy place on, through a new and living way, open through the curtain. And so there's this image that for us is kind of like, that's strange. But to these Jewish people, are like, oh yeah, the big curtain that separates us from like being in God's presence. And he's like, well, here's this curtain, but there's this new curtain that is the body of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest. So here's this author of Hebrews saying, it's like, hey, there's something that that the Jewish people were tracking along with, that Jesus has done something to fulfill these things, that you can go right into the presence of God, that your sins are forgiven, that you go right to God, that Jesus is, he is the way into the presence of God, he is our high priest, he is the final sacrifice. And so this author is saying something that is true for, for all of us, for everyone to have this opportunity to follow Jesus, but he's saying it in a way that makes sense to his original audience. It's this idea that that Jesus has done something for humanity that we can be back in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can know him. We can be forgiven. And so he says, brothers and sisters, this this family that I'm talking to, here's what is true. Here's what has happened. Jesus has done something amazing. Now he's going to talk about, so how do we respond to that? How do we live now because this is true? So, therefore, since all of this is true, brothers and sisters, he's going to give us three things. First thing, let us draw near to God. Because of what Jesus has done, you can draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. First thing you can do, you can, you can draw near to God. You can stay close to God, you can live in his presence. You can be confident that he loves you, that he is with you, that he is for you. And, and he says, listen, like you can have a, a clean conscience. You can have a pure heart. No more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation. Like n- no more, like just the, like those haunting thoughts of who I used to be and how I used to live and what I used to do. And I am so ashamed of that person that I was. This author's like, nope, it's gone. That, that like what you've done or what's been done to you it is like it is no longer something that you have to carry, that you have that removed. And so those are the things, those are the things that keep us from God. And so any barrier, he's like, it's, it's keeping you from the presence of God. You can You can draw near, you can stay near, you can pursue the presence of God and know him. There are no more barriers. There are no more barriers because of what Jesus has done. So draw near to God. The second thing, he says, okay, and also... Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I just like, that is a great word, and I wish I had more opportunities in my daily life to use the word unswervingly, because it's like, that's just unswervingly. He's like, let us hold, the the idea is, listen, hey, hold on, don't waver, like, stay locked in, hold on to the hope that you have no matter what comes your way, you do not need to be shaken, you do not need to, 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 to be unsteady, you do not need to get knocked off course, you can have hope, and the hope that we profess, the hope that we have, and the hope that they have is that there is new life in Christ. The hope that the New Testament that the apostles proclaim is the hope of resurrection, It's that Jesus has done something to offer new life, the reality that no matter who you are and no matter where you are and no matter what you're going through right now, that this moment in your life is not the end of the story. New life and resurrection and redemption is where the story is going. And and this isn't like, um, kind of the popular version of this is heaven. You know, this is what we think. We're like, oh, we're just gonna float away someday. We're gonna die and go to some disembodied existence that is actually not an idea that you will find in the scripture. That's an idea that, that kind of crept into Christianity very early on that was a result of kind of Greco-Roman thought. Uh, this kind of Greek dualism that says, well, there's, there's the spiritual side of things and the physical side of things. And the only thing that really matters is the spiritual side, so we'll go to heaven someday. But the story that scripture tells is know that Jesus has done something to redeem all of creation. That where this this story is going, what Jesus has done is going to bring resurrection life to those who have faith in him and the entire creation. That there will be a physical creation that we inhabit that is without sin, that is without death, that is without pain, without evil, without violence. And we will exist in these glorified bodies without any of those things as well. He's like, that's where the story is going. And for us, I I, I am not making light of anything that you're going through because I know some of you are going through some incredibly, incredibly difficult things. But you need to hear that that's not the end of your story. And for these people, the first century Roman Empire, an obscure minority of people that were sickness and death and disease and violence and war was just, we see those things and we're like, oh man, that's awful, that's horrible. They're just like, that's just another Tuesday. And he says, hey, hold on to the hope because this thing is going somewhere. It's going somewhere. And the reason, the reason that you can hold on to the hope that we profess, this resurrection hope is because he who promised is faithful. Now we're back to the heart of the series. That faith is not blind faith. It's not just hope. It's not just optimism. It's anchored to an object, and the object of the Christian faith is the person of Jesus. It's like the reason that you can have hope is because of the person of Jesus, the trust that you have in him because he has done something that, that, that something has happened. I have reason to have hope that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person that lived in first century Judea. He was known to be a teacher. He was known to be a miracle worker. He was executed by the Romans. All of that is a matter of historical fact. Resources and sources outside of the Bible confirm that. The only question is, is did he rise from the dead? And we just happen to believe, for good reason, that there's overwhelming historical and rational and philosophical evidence to say, yes, actually, he did and so if that is true, that's something that has happened. And so my faith and my hope is in that. It's in that person. It's in Jesus who said, yeah, I'm going to be crucified and, and rise on the third day. And he actually did it. And so my, my hope is in the one who promised he can be trusted. And so he says, hey, here's what Jesus has done. As a result of that, you can draw near to God. You can live in his presence. You can hold on to the hope that we professed." And last thing, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And there's our phrase, one another. So he gets through these ideas and he says, listen, here's what you do. Because of what Jesus has done, you can draw near to God, you can have hope, but you do it together be close to God, draw near to God. You, like, you, you want to know him personally, that's awesome. You want to pursue him, that's awesome. You want to go after the presence of God, yes, we want to live in his presence. You have hope, you hold the hope, you're professing hope, yes, hold on to those things, but you were never meant to do those things by yourself. We do it together. Let us consider how we may spur one another, spur, motivate, encourage, uh, sometimes drag, sometimes push, sometimes prod, sometimes carry, sometimes encourage. Like, like whatever it looks like, get one another into the place where you're, you're pursuing God's presence, where you're professing this hope. And he says, you're moving each other towards love and good deeds. Moving each other towards love, this, this kind of New Testament idea of love where we're moving each other towards knowing and believing, experiencing more of the love that, that Christ has for us. And, and, and in turn, then we're reciprocating love towards Christ and it's going out and, and being expressed in love towards our neighbors. Because he says, you know, there's also good deeds that are involved here. That because of what Jesus has done, remember this whole passage starts with, here's what he has done. And so out of that flows these other things. To encourage each other in that direction. But when when we do that, when we're, when we're drawing near when we're professing and holding to hope, when we're doing it together, when we're spurring each other and moving each other in that direction, all of that helps us to live into our faith and live out of our faith. Like there's, a, there, there's one side of that as we live into it, we grow into it, it becomes our own and our faith grows and God does something in our lives, but then we also live out of it, that, that I'm changed because of it, that how I live and what I think and how I treat people and, and the way that I go about my days changes because of what Jesus is doing in me, because of what he's done, and we're drawing near, we're holding on to hope, and we're doing it together. We spur one another. Um, spurring's not always a pleasant thing. I can attest to this, not actually with spurs, but people spurring me in this context, right? And so like, I, I think it brings us to this point, it's like, man, we want the presence of God, yes, absolutely. We wanna have a hope that will carry us through anything, yes, absolutely. But the picture that we get here is that we need each other to have those things. So do you have those kind of people in your life? Back to what we talked about at the beginning, do you have that person? Do you have those people who are saying, I'm moving you in that direction? I'm moving you in the direction of Jesus, and you're moving me, and we are doing this together. And I want to push a little bit, maybe step on some toes a little bit. Because as I was thinking about this in my own life, it's really easy to find people who do that who I'm just already really, really comfortable with. Or it's just, it's just kind of easy to do. One of the default positions is, oh, sure, I have those people in my life. I have my family. Family's great. Family's important. I love, I, I love family. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But family can't be all that we have. For a long time, really know, post-World War II, through the Cold War and stuff, the church has idolized family. Family. Like, you're not a real follower of Jesus unless your husband, wife, and 2.7 kids, okay? Like, 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 this is the ideal picture. And again, I love family. I love my wife. love my kids. But I also know that for some people, that's not a reality. For some people, family is painful, and it hurts. And, and if we just say, like, well, hey, family is your, your, your go-to. It's your support system. We miss a lot. And the New Testament paints a picture. It says, yeah, family is important. But there's, again, there's a family of faith There are brothers and sisters who who almost, it's like it sits a level above that there's, it supersedes our family. Not that the family of faith is more important than our biological families, but that our families exist within a larger family. That we are brothers and sisters to each other, spiritual mothers and fathers. And so there's this picture, it's like family is great, but do you have someone in your life moving you towards Christ that is not just related to you? I think the other group of people that we, we tend to say, yeah, I've got that, I've got that. It's just like friends. You know, I've got some friends at work that they're always there for me and they support me and they encourage me. That's great. That is awesome. And I'm glad you have that. But are they moving you towards Jesus? Are they moving you towards Jesus? Or do they help me to be comfortable with where I'm at? That doesn't have to be an either or. But do we have the kind of people that, as the author says, is spurring us on? This was really brought into focus this week. I was pre- 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 prepping this message uh, and I saw a quote on Twitter because the best things live on Twitter. Just kidding. If you're not there, don't go there. It's just it's a terrible place. But I found something good, okay? <laughs> One of the pastors that I follow, his name's John Tyson. He's a pastor in New York. He tweeted this this week and I'm like, well, thank you, Jesus, because this is what I'm talking about. So, so here it is. He said this. The community is essential to the Christian life. Yes, it's where the suffering are comforted, and we love that part. Man, when life is hard, when things are difficult, I've got my people around me, and they lift me up, and they carry me, and that's absolutely beautiful, and it's a picture uh, that, that we see in the New Testament, and it's what it, should, it should be there. This should be a place where there is comfort, and there is healing, and there is hope. But he goes on, he says, but it's also where the comfortable suffer. I think that's the part we miss sometimes. I think, you know, it's great to have people that comfort us when we're suffering, but sometimes we need people who's like, I think you're a little too comfortable right now. I think things are a little too easy for you right now. You need to be spurred on in some areas. We need someone to come into our lives sometimes and shake us out of our comfort and say, hey, have you forgotten that we follow a crucified king, a suffering savior, and we are, we are called to live in such a manner that, that reflects that, to participate in his sufferings? It's where the comfortable suffer. Too often we choose our communities based on their ability to make us comfortable rather than their ability to make us Christ-like. I was like, oh, that hurt because I'm reading that. And I'm like, it's, it's even, it's like even sometimes like, even like within the church, like people that love Jesus, I'm like, yay, I'm so comfortable. And it's like, ah, I don't want to always be comfortable, right? We need, we need both sides of this. We need both sides of this. People are moving us on towards love and good works. So spur one another on. And then he finishes it up, not, uh, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This let me say, is not a, a passage about church attendance. I've, I've heard it used that way, although I think church attendance is important. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm here doing this every week, so I hope y'all are here, okay? That's all I'm saying, right? Like, it's important to gather together, to gather together corporately, but that's not what this is saying. This is not saying you need to go to church every single week, because sometimes that's how it's taken. This is taken at the end of what was just said. It's not if you gather, it's what does your gathering look like? Are you gathering in a way where you are pursuing and drawing near to God together? Are you gathering in such a way where you are reminding each other of the hope that you have? Are you gathering in such a way that you're moving each other to live lives of love and good deeds? And sometimes that looks like a setting like this, and sometimes it looks like a living room in someone's house during the week. But are you meeting in such a way that is moving you in that kind of direction. Don't give up meeting together. Um, all the more as you see uh, the day approaching, you'll notice that's got a capital D there that is, is talking about the, the day in the reference to, to Jesus' return, right? It's like, hey, as, as that gets closer and closer and closer because every day is one day closer to his return, Now, there's all kinds of debate about when that will be. Like, the disciples in the first century are like, he's coming back in our lifetime. For 2,000 years, people have been predicting he's coming back in our lifetime. It might be next year. It might be 10,000 years from now. That's not the point here. The point is every day is one day closer, so there's a sense of urgency. There's just this urgency that every day is one day closer to being with Jesus. So every day I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to hold on to the hope. We're going to be in this thing together. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to share his love, the world around us together. We're we're doing this, and there's this growing urgency and and beauty of our lives together. Brothers and sisters, here's what Jesus has done for you. And so in light of that, draw near, have hope, and do it together. Draw near to God, have hope in Jesus and do that, pursue that together. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. There is no such thing as like, hey, it's just me and Jesus and that's all I need. You will not find that in the Bible. You will not find that in the church throughout history. That is a product of kind of like modern Western within the last couple hundred years saying like, we have this kind of rugged individualism in the West and specifically in America. says, I don't need nobody, right? It's just me, I'm good. And that kind of thinking has crept into the church and that is something that the like the first apostles would have been like. We don't, even, we don't even recognize that. Not that they would have said it was like bad. Like you know, following Jesus together, good. Following Jesus on your own, bad. Those aren't the categories. They would have seen the idea of us following Jesus on their own and gone like, I don't even, I don't even know what that is because it just wasn't. It was a categorical just difference for them. That, that we're trained so often when we read some of the New Testament letters, we see the word you. We're like, oh, that's me, right? it's, it's you. You do this. That's that's me. But most of the time, it's actually you plural. Because of English, it's you or it's you. And really, it'd be y'all. Get the Southern Bible. Y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit, all right? <laughs> y'all need to love each other. It's a, it's a collective thing. It was always meant to be that way. It's what Jesus modeled. It's what the church has taught. It's where our faith grows. When it comes to growing our faith and experiencing God's faithfulness, our proximity to other people who are doing the same thing, it matters and it makes a difference it's a faith builder, and, and honestly, when we experience distance from the family of God and over an extended period of time, it's a faith killer. When you, when you detach yourself from the other followers of Jesus, it's really easy to detach from faith altogether. People tend to drift from a community of faith before they drift from their actual faith. Right? It's like I tend to lose a community of faith before I actually say I don't have that faith anymore. In other words, most people, I'm not saying there's not an exception to a rule, go, they don't go, hey, I don't think I believe this anymore, so I'm not going to be part of this faith community anymore. It's, oh, I'm not going to be part of this faith community, and over time it's like I don't know that I necessarily believe that anymore. And let me just say, that's not only on individuals. Right? Like sometimes there's like, a, yeah, I'm not going to be part of a faith community, but a lot of times the church has not provided a beautiful community to be a part of a space where it's like, you know what, I do have some questions and I do have some doubts. Where do I go for that? The church says, not here, or I am struggling with something. I do wonder about this faith thing. The church says, well, no, not here, but are we collectively coming together to create the kind of place that says, you know what, you can belong here. We can we can work through like the difficulties of life and try to figure out faith, and this is somewhere where we pursue Jesus together. That's where faith grows. That's where faith grows, staying connected in a community of faith. And when we do that, our faith grows because several things happen. Number one, we see God's faithfulness in other people's lives and that encourages us to trust him more with our own. We see him working in other people and we go, wow, okay, like look at what God's doing. But we, we also, there are times and there are moments in life where it's like, I don't have faith for myself right now, but other people have it for me. right? And we're able to, to have faith for other people and carry other people through those difficult seasons. There's times we, we, we talk about the love of Christ the love of Jesus, and we talk about that kind of like in our minds and the thought and the idea of that, but you know where you actually experience the love of Jesus in a tangible way, in a real way, is when his body shows up and loves you well. And this is what a community of faith is meant to be. Now, as we kind of wrap things up, I just want to give you some nitty-gritty um, of like how that works here and some ways that you can be a part of that. Um, we always try to give you practical handles at the end of things. Like, hey, here's something that you can do. As a church, like this dynamic of you know we grow when we're in relationship with others. This is why uh, this is why we do groups and why we push groups so hard. We're like, yeah, get in a group, gotta get in a group. And you're like, would you just stop talking about groups? Like, no, we won't because we think God uses other people to grow our faith. We we don't do community groups because we think you all are bored during the week. We're like, you know what? People these days are just they got so much free time. You know, they have nothing to do. Like, no, we don't think that. It's like no, like, but we need to be in relationship with people. And there are times I'm in a group on Thursday nights. It's like oh, it's Thursday, we gotta clean the house because our group meets at our house. I'm like, I don't wanna clean the house. <laughs> Why don't we have to have, I wanna take a nap. I don't wanna have a group, but by, the, but by the time Thursday it hits eight o'clock and our group is supposed to be over, I'm like, oh, it's over already, dang it. And, and here, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying a group is like the end all, be all because maybe some of you have been in a group before and it was a bad experience. I've had some bad group experiences. I had some great ones too. But we wanna create and set up environments where it's like, you know what? I'm putting myself around people who are trying to follow Jesus together God, would you do something with that? So maybe a group's a good step for you. Maybe it's not right now, but we put it out there. This is also why, by the way, if you're uh, um, a parent, if you've got kids or teenagers, this is why we structure things the way we do with our kids and student ministries. It, it, th- those environments are not about a person standing on a stage teaching them. Yes, there's a lesson, but the most important thing is afterwards they sit with a group of their peers and an adult leader, and they talk about what that actually means and what it looks like in their lives we, we, we push this idea of like the relational kind of ministry, again, because we're like, that's what Jesus did, and that's what he showed us. And finally, this is why you'll hear us often saying, we want to have an invite culture here at our church. It's like, hey, just just invite people to come and see. Good shirt, shirt choice today, by the way. Just come and see. Everyone's going to stare at you now, Mike. Sorry about that. I had to. You wore it. You know, I had to. Come and see. There's a, there's this time in, in the Gospel of John where Jesus is starting to gather and assemble his um, disciples, and, and Philip is starting to follow him. And Philip goes to Nathaniel's like, we think we found the Messiah. And, you know, he's, he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, Pff, Nazareth sucks, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. Hey, just come and see. And based on that invitation, Nathaniel's life changes. And so we're like, you know what? Like, hey, come to church with me, come to this event, come to my group, like just just come see what's happening because a single invitation could position you to be that catalyst in someone else's story where 20 years from now, someone's sitting in a church hearing a message like this and you're the person's face that pops into their head of why they are where they are and why their faith is what it is because God uses people. He uses people to grow our faith. Relationships matter. At the end of the day, you need people in your life to move you towards Jesus, you need people who are a part of your faith journey, and even though you may not know it and you may not feel it, other people need you in their faith story as well. So the question is, will we be the kind of people, whether that's in a group or serving somewhere or just forming relationships with people, inviting people, will we be the kind of people that says, God, like whatever you want to do through the other people in my life or use me to do in in, in their lives, will we be the people to say yes to that? Let's pray. God, thanks so much um, that we have this beautiful picture of what it means to follow you and, and to be a Christian. That it is a relational thing, Jesus. That you you stepped onto this planet two thousand years ago. You showed us what it looks like to love each other and to love God. You 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 given us this beautiful picture of what your kingdom is about. You got up close and personal. We thank you that through your death and resurrection, we can have relationship with you. Got to pray that we would just be the kind of people that that prioritize others in our lives, we would put ourselves in situations where you could use other people to speak to us, to reveal yourself to us, and you could also use us um, in someone else's faith journey. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, um, may we just be aware of every interaction that we have, every conversation we have, that it it could be a moment where you want to do something in us, or you want to do something through us. So we just pray this in Jesus' name.